Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Ashley Bastock here with Chris Fedor. Chris, we are talking a few hours after Sunday's Game 4 ended. Um, Of course, a loss for Cleveland in that one. And they're now coming back to Cleveland to play on Wednesday in game five, down three to one after this 102 to 93 loss. So, Chris, let's just start with your initial impressions watching this game and this slow start. They kind of mount this mini comeback in the third quarter led by Darius Garland. um, And then it eventually falls apart in the end. And kind of a lot of these same problems that have arisen with this matchup kind of reared their ugly head again. Yeah, I think that's the big thing, Ashley. Um, Entering this series, there were a few different leverage points on both sides, with the Knicks, with the Cavs. And through the first four games, the leverage points have been more glaring for the Cavs, and they've gone against them. Um, I don't think there's any other way to say it. In in four games of this series, the Cavs have been outplayed, outschemed, and outcoached. And if they're going to change it, some of those things are going to have to be better for the Cavs. But when I was having a conversation with some New York writers, we did this roundtable leading into the series with my buddy Ian Begley of SNY. One of the things that we talked about, and we talked about it on this podcast too, the Cavs will win this series if. And there were a couple of different things that both of us said, right, Ashley? But the first thing that I pointed out is that Donovan Mitchell has to be the best player in this series because the Cavs don't have enough other reliable offensive options because the Cavs don't have a bunch of bench depth like the New York Knicks do. Like their path to 51 wins and raising this organizational ceiling was Donovan Mitchell playing like an MVP candidate. And coming into this series against New York, their path to winning this series was Donovan Mitchell first and foremost being the best player in this series, and he most certainly has not been. And he knows it. Yeah. So, well, Donovan's numbers from game four, 11 points on five of 18 shooting. He was one of nine in the second half from the field, 0 of four from deep. He had six turnovers and only five assists comparatively. So I know, Chris, when you guys got a chance to talk to him in the locker room after the game, it's it's kind of unsurprising having heard Donovan talk all this year and, and us getting to see him in this media setting a lot. But he basically took the blame for this loss, it seemed like. He did, and there was nowhere else that he could have turned. You know what I mean? Like, these were the games that the Cavs brought Donovan Mitchell in to win and be at his best for. Right. Um, 
back against the wall on the road, essentially a must win. Um, a lot of things working against the Cavs. This is why he was brought here. And he just did not show up today. Um, he did not match his standard. And stars are going to be held to a different standard this time of year because stars need to shine. And if they fade, questions arise, chatter comes, um, and the Cavs are going to have a hard time consistently generating offense when the guy that they rely on the most is going 5 of 18 from the field and he looks like he's completely uncomfortable. Now, I think there are a couple of things here, though. Like, one, I think the Cavs strategically can do some things better to try and free him up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, two, like, because the Cavs are so bad on the wings and because they just don't have a lot of big men spacers, um, things are very, very difficult on Donovan. The Knicks are packing the paint. They're keeping him out of the paint. They're forcing him to be a jump shooter. A lot of those jump shots are going to be contested. Um, and he's getting a lot of attention from Josh Hart, who has mm -hmm. been awesome in this series. Like, he's physical. He's rugged. He doesn't care. He doesn't back down from challenges. So I think part of why Donovan has struggled, and this is not making excuses for him because he simply was not good enough today, and he hasn't been good enough in this series. Um, but part of the reason why things have been tough on him is because the Cavs' flawed roster is making it tough on him. And because the Knicks are able to do some things defensively from a scheme standpoint to bother him because of the Cavs personnel on the court. Now you might be saying, well, why don't they change that personnel? Because they just <laughs> don't have the personnel to make it right. easier on him. Right. I mean, that that's to me what it comes down to, because you watch these games, especially, you know, the last two in particular and the first one to some extent. But I'm going to stick with these two in New York. And it's like, yeah, like you said. Right. And it's like Darius Garland talked about it today, that when things were working for them in the third quarter, it's because they were getting their bigs involved and the ball was moving and like doing yeah. things like making sure every player touches the ball in a position like these are very basic things that when they don't do them because of the I wrote about it too the lack of offensive threats on this team right now and the lack of like a quote-unquote spark off the bench that you know Karras is a guy who who typically fits that kind of mold for them while he's in the starting lineup right now so you, you've yeah. lost that kind of offensive spark um, there's just not enough threats to space the Knicks out, to get their bigs out of the paint, and to stop them from kind of trapping right. and harassing Donovan when he has the ball at the top of the key. And I think it's just really obvious in games like this one. But, like, in game two, the Cavs found a way to kind of combat that because of what Karras was doing. So, like you're saying, it's not like Donovan just woke up today and didn't have it. Like, there's something very yeah. clearly that the Knicks are doing to him. Um, and it really just, to me, points out the limitations with this roster as it exists right, right now. And look, I think we knew that, right? Right. I think we've been talking about that for the last couple of months. And the Cavs aren't stupid. They know that they need a two-way wing. They tried to get one at the trade deadline. They tried to get multiple ones at the deadline. They almost got a deal done for Royce O'Neal of the Brooklyn Nets. Like, they went a lot of ways down the road, and they tried to get really, really creative, including getting a first-round pick, like lining up a deal where they were going to get a first-round pick that they were then going to flip to Brooklyn so they could get Royce O'Neal. But then Brooklyn said, we're not trading him. We need him. 
We like his contract. We like his veteran leadership. We like the team that we're trying to build with all of these wings when nobody in the NBA has enough of them. So, like, they know. They know the flaws on this roster. And they knew the minute that they traded for Donovan Mitchell and they sacrificed some of their depth um, that it was going to be a top-heavy roster. And during the regular season, you know, Jared Allen was great, and Evan Mobley was great, and Darius Garland was great, and Donovan Mitchell was great, and the Cavs had one of the best starting fives in the entire NBA statistically. That's where a majority of their production came from, um, because that's how this roster is assembled right now, until they find a way to improve the other pieces around them. But you're right, like, Part of why the Knicks are defending Donovan the way that they are is because the Cavs just um, don't have enough on the wing, and the Knicks are looking at it saying, your wings can't do anything. Like, Jetty Osman's 3 of 12 from three-point range in this series. Isaac Okoro's been left open since game one. Uh, Karis LeVert has been as erratic as he usually is. Right. So that's making it harder on Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And the Cavs, I thought, early in the third quarter did a smart thing by using Jared Allen more as the screener. And because he was the screener, Mitchell Robinson was pulled away from the basket a little bit more. They also went away from high pick and roll consistently, and they started doing some flex action and stuff like that, where they got Darius the ball coming off a screen on the move where he could get downhill quickly. And that stuff is good for a few possessions here or there. And then either the Cavs are abandoning it because of a lack of execution or the coaches are going away from it because of a poor decision. Um, but they're just like, there aren't a lot of counters and answers given the personnel that the Cavs have and the way that the Knicks are currently guarding the Cavs at that end of the floor. So they're going to have to consistently rely on their defense, um, which has been good enough. But when you give up right. 17 offensive rebounds, it's not going to be good enough. Yeah, so let's talk about the offensive rebounds, and then we can we can circle back to Darius Garland because there's some interesting things there too. But this is the second game in this series that the Cavs have given up 17 offensive rebounds. They right. also did it in game one. Um, and it just is striking, you know, that Jared Allen, how Jared Allen and Evan Mobley were going to hold up, I think was a big question going into this because, yeah. like, we all know that this was, like, the obvious matchup problem for the Cavs against the Knicks. It was how are these bigs going to hold up against Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, mm -hmm. And like looking at the numbers, you know, I did the math for, for my story. Jared Allen had four rebounds in this game. Evan Mobley had seven. He fell out with about 90 seconds left. The Cavs were trailing by 10. Um, and Robinson and Hartenstein combined for 19 rebounds in this game. Like it just <laughs> looked like, they were, again, just so overmatched on the boards. There were rebounds, you know, where you see, I like, in the first half especially, it just felt so uncharacteristic to me in terms of, like, that intangible sense of urgency. Like, it just felt like mm -hmm. the Knicks were going for these loose balls. Like, I'm really curious to see when all the advanced stats come out, like the hustle stats from this game and things like right. that, because it just looked like they were beating the Cavs to the 50-50 balls. They were, like, rebounds that you know Evan Mobley or Jared Allen aren't even going for and the Knicks are somehow coming up with um but it's just a problem and this the quote from post game that I heard that stuck with me was JB Bickerstaff when he got asked about it you know he said that's the it and we keep talking yeah. about it we keep talking about it we keep talking about it 
and you learn when it'll hurt the most. And I, I really think, unfortunately, <laughs> like that is the story of this series for me. They are not learning quick enough from these mistakes and they, they just keep repeating them. And that's kind of the nature of yeah. playoff basketball. As somebody told me before the game, somebody in the NBA told me before the game, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are going to have to sack up. Like that's the word or that's the phrase that they use to describe. Yeah. And and that's what it comes down to. Like Jared Allen cannot get pushed around physically by Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, Isaiah Hartenstein. Josh Hart can't push around Karis LeVert and these other guys grabbing these offensive rebounds. It's just they've got to toughen up and they've got to be better when it comes down to that. There is no doubt about that. But it also goes back to something that we've talked about a lot, Ashley. Every decision that J.B. Bickerstaff is going to make, and, and this does not take away blame from him. I think it just points out the reality of the situation that they're in. And they're down 3-1, and who knows? If they win game five, this could be a different tenor going mm-hmm. back to New York. Even though playing at Madison Square Garden this year for the Cavs has been a complete dungeon. Like, I think they're right. averaging... I think they're averaging like 88 points per game or something like that inside Madison Square Garden this year, regular season and postseason. Yikes. Um, but here's the thing. Like, I asked Jared Allen about this in the postgame, too, and he admitted, yes, it's playing a part of this. So the Cavs are trapping and blitzing Jalen Brunson, right? And mm-hmm. you sit there and you say to yourself, well, no, duh. Yes. You know, that's a really smart strategy because he's burned us all series long. He's the most important player for the Knicks, and he's the top name on the scouting report, and we don't have anybody who can consistently guard him, who can mm-hmm. also make a shot on the other end that allows us to function offensively the way that we do and play defensively the way that we want to. So they're trying to take the ball out of his hands. Well, when you do <laughs> that... Right. Your bigs are out of position to rebound. Bigs are out of position, and everybody's scrambling, and the shot goes up, and... Who knows who's going to get the rebound? Mm. Like, I saw a stat today, and I don't have um, the exact numbers yet because I'm waiting for the player tracking and the advanced stats like you are. But more than 60% of the offensive rebounds that the Knicks collected today in Game 4 came off of Cavs blitzes. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, you're doing one thing that you want to do defensively that is a smart strategy— but there's a negative domino effect to doing that. Just like there is something smart with the Cavs by going to Isaac Okoro and you feel like you're getting physicality, you're getting somebody who's going to run through screens, he's going to box out better. But then on the offensive end, like his defender is standing in the paint. You know what I mean? So like right. a lot of these decisions that JB is encountering throughout the course of this series are either or propositions or if then things. And sometimes people don't look at um, the downstream effects that can be negative because of these decisions that he's making. Yeah, I mean, I guess in that case, because, you know, Twitter is going to Twitter and Twitter's melting down, of course, <laughs> after after the cast fall in three one hole. And like, look, I I right now, personally, if you had to ask me, like, I would not stick with my pick I made at the beginning of the series. Like, I I personally don't think the Cavs are going to come back and win this one. Like, I think it's over on Wednesday or Friday in game six. Like, I don't even know if we're getting to seven games. But 
is there anything like J.B. Vickerstaff can be doing? Because that, of course, has been a topic of conversation and, and J.B., you know, getting blamed for different things and the way this has gone. But it's like, for me, again, it just kind of falls on, as a coach, he can only do what he can right. with the pieces that he has. And and that's not to say that I think J.B. Vickerstaff is perfect in a lot of the decisions he makes or um, in all of the decisions he makes, I should say. But, like, I don't think all of this is on him. I would agree. Um, you know, adjustments this time of year have become a buzzword um, when it comes to fans, but a lot of it is execution. Um, a lot of times the players just have to go out and do things. I asked Darius Garland um, after the game, I was like, hey, look, like, has it been a point of emphasis to pull Mitchell Robinson away from the hoop and like get him in screening action? Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, yeah, he can't do two things at once or whatever. Right. Um, so it's like the fact that it isn't happening consistently enough is that on JB for not running the right offensive sets? Um, or is that on the players for just not executing, not trusting, and going away from it when the first action isn't there or something like that? And, and Darius said, I think we got away from it most of the time. We've been trying to just move the ball, let everybody touch it at least once in a possession, not get stuck into iso ball or matchup hunting. So we've been talking about it a lot more, and we see what worked. We're just going to go back and watch the film, go look at the start of the second half, see what we can do about that, and try to translate it to the next game. So, like, yes, I, I do think um, execution of the game plan at times throughout the course of this series has been a problem. In saying that, I think there are things that JB can control that he hasn't done a good enough job of. I'll give you some examples, Ashley. Um, he has got to stop playing Ricky Rubio. Yeah, like, I like when when he went in the game today. I out loud said, "What are we doing?" Like, yes, Ricky right. is not playable in this series, which no. we have talked about. He just is simply not playable and trust me i get it i get why you think oh a guy like that should be a steadying hand but we tried that experiment the other night on yes. friday night and it did not work yes and if he does play playing him alongside isaac okoro is coaching malpractice right like what are you doing like those are two guys that the knicks are just completely ignoring because they don't believe those guys can knock down outside shots and that allows the knicks to better pack the paint so if you're going to continue to play Ricky, and that's a bad idea to begin with, um, because he has shown that this is just not the series for him. The Knicks are too quick. They're too physical. They're too athletic. He's a step or two slow. The game is still moving too fast for him, and he mm -hmm. can't consistently shoot from the outside. And they're daring the Cavs to shoot from the outside. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense in this matchup. But if you're going to continue to play him, and you shouldn't, but if you're going to, then he can't play alongside Isaac Coro. Like, you have no. to split those minutes up in a better way. Um, I also think JB can do a much better job when it comes to, like we talked about, making sure that Jared Allen is the primary screener as opposed to Evan Mobley because you need to pull Mitchell Robinson consistently out of the paint. And the best way that the Cavs can do that, besides, of course, making down some uh, making some outside shots and causing the Knicks to uh, um, change up their defensive plan a right. little bit 
it's it's to pull that guy away from the rim somehow, some way. And if he's screening, like, yeah, he's going to drop back and Hartenstein's going to drop back as well after those screens. But if Jared Allen's the one screening, maybe he can put enough of a body on Mitchell Robinson or he can put enough of a body on the person who's defending Darius or Donovan. And that's going to allow that player to get like a full head of steam going downhill Mitchell Robinson kind of retreating. It's a little bit different than if he's just like standing there stationary. Um, So that's something else that I think JB can do from a strategy standpoint. Beyond that, like (laughs) there are just like a lot of roster flaws that he's trying to work through at this point. Yeah. And I mean, again, to like kind of put it all out there, I'm trying to find it in my own story because I I essentially like tried to get into this like okay you know Donovan can't do much Darius has his little spurt it gets it back into him um oh there's one more I just thought of and and I'm writing a story on this a follow-up for the morning like (laughs) the decision to start the game with Darius Garland on Jalen Brunson yes uh, I don't get that yes what did what did Darius and and JB kind of have to say about about this well, I didn't make it down to JB's post-game press conference because <laughs> it's very, very difficult. It's horrible to, to get down to the yes. interview room from where the media seating is in Madison Square Garden, folks. If you have not heard, it's a nightmare. It is very difficult. Like, the stairway is completely packed with Knicks fans. The escalators aren't actually running. They're, like, stationary, and then you're battling those people as well. And I had to file a coherent gamer, too on deadline so throw that all in there jb bickerstaff went for four minutes of his post game my best chance of asking him a question is when other reporters keep him in that room long enough so that i can get down there at the very end and throw some at him at the end Mm -hmm. and one of the top questions that i had on my running list because we all write down certain questions that we want to ask in the post game the number one was what was his thinking behind Darius Garland guarding Jalen Brunson at the beginning of the game and in the fourth quarter and throughout the game? So I didn't have an opportunity to ask him that like on camera in post game, but I was able to get him on the phone. Mm-hmm. And the way that he phrased it to me was that they were planning to send multiple bodies at Brunson to begin with. They knew that the Knicks were going to um, use some of their guards to screen for Brunson just the way that they did in game three. And it was kind of like pre-switching. Like mm-hmm. it was Darius on him at first, but if RJ Barrett was right. going to set the screen, then Karis LeVert was going to be the one guarding him or Donovan Mitchell was going to be. So they're he basically also... banking on screens yes. and planning on the switch ahead of time. Yes. And he also believes that Darius in the way that... Um, he plays defense like he's somebody who if you give him a game plan he's going to be able to execute it he's got limitations defensively he's not the best defender that they have but he's very good at executing the game plan that they have in place and jb thought darius could force people to the coverages that they were looking for he obviously didn't want to say what those coverages were he didn't want to give up the strategy Um, but, but that was the thinking behind it. And the only thing that I have a problem with there is Darius isn't their best defender. Duh. Mm -hmm. 
And like part of the reason why the Cavs made the decision to go with Karis LeVert in the starting lineup as opposed to Isaac Okoro is because they thought Karis was doing a really, really good job on Jalen Brunson on the defensive end and because they wanted to make Brunson work when he was playing defense as well. But like if you're not going to put Karis on Brunson, then that kind of like negates part of the reason why you make that starting lineup switch, at least to me anyway. Yeah, and, like, I'm just not crazy about expending energy from Darius in that way. Like, right. we, we talked about that. That's the flip side of the, the Brunson on Karis argument, yeah. right? Like, you can't put one of your own guys in that predicament then when he's already not the best guy to be guarding Jalen Brunson. Like, he's right. just not. It also allows Brunson to get into a better rhythm because he understands that even if he misses shots and stuff like that, he's going to get better looks when guarded by Darius. Mm -hmm. Karras would make him work a little bit harder because of his length, his quickness, his athleticism. Um, Isaac Okoro obviously would make him harder for those looks. Like going up against Darius Garland every time, we're in the press seating, like way up in, in section 200. And every time, like Tom Thibodeau liked the the opportunity for Brunson against Darius Garland in an ISO situation after some of their actions didn't work the way that they wanted them to, like he was waving off everybody. He was saying right. no screen, let him go one-on-one because Brunson feels like that's a matchup that he can exploit. And I felt like Brunson scoring 11 points in the first quarter allowed him to get into a rhythm early and he continued that throughout the game. Yeah, and I mean, that was as as it was happening, I'm like, okay, and you're explaining the rationale and the pre-switching. I'm like, well, if I'm Jalen Brunson right. and I have Darius Garland on me from the jump, I'm just going to be like, screw the screen. Like, yeah, screw the screen. I don't need the screen then. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's like, I get it. And sometimes it's like, it's almost too chess matchy. Like, maybe we're playing 3D chess and we should just be playing normal <laughs> chess. Like, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I'm, was not crazy about that decision, and I'm curious to see uh, if that's one of the things that ends up getting altered before um, we come back for, for game five in a few days. Because, again, mm-hmm. Jalen Brunson's stat line, 29 points, 11 of 22 shooting, 5 of 9 from 3, and 6 assists, too. So um, just, just a tough night all around there for that defensive plan. But um, all right, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll kind of talk about game five and where the Cavs go from here. And welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Ashley Bastock here with Chris Fedor. We are recapping game four, the Cavs 102 to 93 loss to the New York Knicks. They are now down three to one in their first round series. So Chris, I guess, you know, a day of existential dread amongst Cavs fans and you know I know when we talked beforehand the series even started and you had brought up you know if they don't get out of the first round it's you know a failure in your eyes for everything they accomplished and we're not quite there yet right like they they do still have to (laughs) lose one more game for it to be done but the way things have played out in New York the way they have played in New York this year Odds are not in their favor necessarily. So where do they go from here in game five to try to at least salvage this series so they can make one more trip to New York? Well, we've talked a little bit about some of the adjustments that they can make, some of the things that are within their control. But, I mean, it sounds so simplistic, but Donovan and Darius have to be great. And if Donovan and Darius are great in game five, 
then the Cavs are going to have a chance. Mm-hmm. If they're not great in game five, then it's probably curtains. Because the way that this roster is constructed, the Cavs rely on their best players being at their best. And the way that the playoffs are, the best players need to be at their best. And Donovan Mitchell in this, it wasn't just today. You know what I mean, Ashley? Like five of 18 today, 11 points today. That's fine. Yeah, it wasn't great the other night either. And it hasn't been great in the series, really. No, in the series is averaging 22 points per game. He's shooting 43% from the field and 30% from three point range and 66% from the free throw line while averaging 7.8 assists and four turnovers. So, I mean, he's going to have to be the guy to find a way, if he can, to loosen up this Knicks defense and force them to make yet another adjustment on the defensive end. And the same thing with Darius Garland. Um, I also think it would behoove the Cavs to involve Jared Allen a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously he's getting pushed around underneath when it comes to battling for the boards, but he is finishing at least around the rim in a way that Evan Mobley isn't right now. Mm -hmm. You know, Evan Mobley on non-restricted area paint shots other than dunks, like, forget it. Like, it has not been good. It's been very, very difficult for him. And I just think they're forcing him to make decisions quicker than he's capable of at this stage of his development. Um, and it's just, if if you go to Jarrett more, I think there are better opportunities. One, you pull Mitchell Robinson away if you involve Jarrett in the screen. But then if you get him the ball on the short roll, like he's been a better decision maker for the Cavs and he's been a better finisher for the Cavs in those situations too. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me, too, because besides the X's and O's of it all, I'm like, is are they going to have that, you know, that fight in them when they come back? Like, is it going to be yeah. as simple as they're coming back home? They have nothing to lose at this point. I mean, they they have to win or they're done. Um, right. And the Knicks are the ones with the pressure to win a closeout game now. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious because just again, I mean, I was struck by I was just surprised by the overall energy today. I don't know what it felt Agreed. like there. Um, it just felt like not them. It was very uncharacteristic for having watched them all year. There just wasn't the kind of urgency that you would expect for a team that had its back against the wall. Right. That was down two one in a series and had an opportunity to rip back home court advantage. And, you know, Jared Allen was asked about that a little bit in the post game, and he called it a lack of desperation. They didn't play with a level of desperation that you would think from a team trailing a series. Yeah. And he said, when the third quarter happened, you could see it in our eyes, you could see it in our play. We were finally ready to battle. And um, it was two quarters too late. Two quarters too late. Like, that's the other thing I said. Why was intensity a problem in the postseason, Jarrett? You guys are down 2-1 it's in the, the series. Right, it's the postseason. It's not yes. some random game in January. Like, that just yep. doesn't make sense. He had a money quote on that, Ashley. He said, I know people say the playoffs changes you, but in the brightest lights, you come back to who you are. Think about that. And, well, I was going to bring this up. Like, I mean, you wrote about this. This is essentially what the Cavs did during that yes. slog earlier in the season. It was the switch flipping, and it yes. doesn't work in the postseason. It does not. I mean, in the regular season, they led the NBA in double-digit comebacks. And that was mm-hmm. a great start that showed their toughness and their resiliency and their fortitude. 
and um, how they never give up no matter what the situation is. But on the other side of that, you look at it and say, yo, you were down double digits in right, 17 in different games. games at least, you know, yeah. not to mention the ones that you didn't come back from. So, right. like, you would think that being down in that kind of hole that many times, you would say, we got to find a way to fix this so that it doesn't continue to happen. Um, and as Jared said, we always fall back on what we're used to. We always struggle with coming out hot in games. We turn it on a little bit later. Like, that's a problem. In the postseason, like, you don't have that latitude to, like, comfortably work yourself into a game and say, all right, second half is here. Let's rally from 15 down. Right. Yeah. You don't because think have... about the amount of energy that you expend just to do that. And the Cavs, like, give them a lot of credit. In the third quarter, they rallied from behind. They took the lead for the first time in the game midway through the third quarter, but also the amount of energy that it took for them just to get over that hump and claim the lead, you know, they just didn't have a whole lot left for the fourth quarter, yeah. and they were outscored 29 to 22 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I mean, again, Darius even talked about, I mean, the gist of it was I don't have the right quote in front of me or the exact quote in front of me but mm -hmm. I think when somebody asked him you know what changed like when the pick and roll stuff with Jarrett was working why did you get out of it and Darius said like oh we we lost our pace and I'm like right. well to me that that means they there's some fatigue setting in there and that obviously yeah. I think was a very real factor um but I I don't know it's just like I think too back to like the comeback win point you asked Darius I think was it in Orlando about this and about leading the league in these comeback yeah. wins and Darius was even like in real time he's like is that a good stat or right? a bad stat <laughs> and it's so true I'm like I'm, unfortunately I yes. think we're getting the answer that for this particular young team with not a lot of playoff experience it might have been a bad stat yeah you're right about that and and I think Jarrett said it perfectly who you are shows up when adversity hits Mm -hmm. Who you are shows up when the lights are the brightest. You know, that's kind of who the Cavs were. Just like Boston, just like Milwaukee, just like Philadelphia, they entered the playoffs with bad habits. And they entered yeah. the playoffs with flaws. Mm -hmm. And give the Knicks a lot of credit um, because they have exposed a lot of those flaws and those bad habits. Yeah. And another, like, fatigue stat, it's like the Knicks over the last over the last quarter out-rebounded the Cavs. 13 to 6 and oh. scored seven second chance points off of four offensive rebounds as as Cleveland's trying them out to come back. I mean, it just in every kind of stat like that, the the Cavs kind of it was like a peak and then uh not as bad of a valley as the first half, but still a, a valley that kind of prevented them from closing the door and stealing this game. But I, I want to know Ashley. I want to know what you would do with Isaac. It's so hard. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you have to have him guarding Jalen Brunson, but they, they don't guard yeah. him. They don't guard him. So I don't know. I don't know that I would put him back in the starting lineup for this series. I just don't know that you can. And I, I think it's more of a liability. And I think you're only asking for more problems. And look, I think Isaac has improved, obviously, his shot and all those things. Right. You wrote that big story about it. 
but he still isn't that guy. And he's probably never, he's never going to be that guy that takes over a game. That's just not what he can do on the offensive end. But he can't be the guy that they are just leaving wide open so they can go and trap Donovan Mitchell. So I think there's a spot for him by nature. It it reminds me kind of of, uh, this is only tangentially related, but when I did a big story on Browns linebacker Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and I was talking to his mm-hmm. basketball coach from high school because he was a really good basketball player too. He had college offers and and he told me, he made a comment about when this kid got to me, he was so bad at offense, but I had no <laughs> choice but to put him on varsity as a freshman because he was the only guy who could play defense. And like, that's what I'm seeing with Isaac on like an NBA scale, right? Like he's one of like about two guys on this team right now that I would trust to put on Jalen Brunson. So I don't think you right. can lose that but I don't think you can be playing him with Ricky Rubio. <laughs> like I, I don't, I think that's the crux of it. Like some of these other lineup decisions around him are an issue. And then beyond that, it's like this, the Cavs never ending struggle for a two way three, like we've been talking about, right. It's like what they've been looking for. And Isaac just isn't that. And this is again, kind of exposing a hole they have, but I don't think you can remove him from the lineup completely. I just, I, I worry about, who the heck is going to guard Jalen Brunson? Because the Darius Garland experiment today didn't work. Yeah. This is a fascinating conundrum because on one hand, you can look at it and say, well, despite the issues that Isaac has on the offensive end, and despite the fact that it plays into the Knicks' hands because they want to pack the paint, first and foremost, that's what they want to do. That is Tom Thibodeau's ethos. It's what he's always wanted to do. So he allows the Knicks to better do that. Despite that, the Cavs were plus one with him on the court in 17 minutes. Yeah, I know. Plus minus can be wonky and noisy, and it depends who he's out there with and stuff like that. But him playing small ball four was really interesting. Um, And I thought he was able to hold his own, um, Mm. especially on the defensive end, because he is a brick. Um, he is well put together, and he rebounds well for his position. Yeah. Um, and he plays just super hard. So that's one thing I'd say to myself. And then I say to myself, too, if part of the reason why you decided to go away from Isaac and more towards Karras is to generate more offense, mm-hmm. it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like the part of it, too. It's almost like I wish there was more... Like, I'm fine if you keep Karras in the starting lineup, but you kind of have to give Karras that time limit. And it's like, if you don't have it, we got to get Isaac in here and we'll try again. But, like, we can't – like, the the time – the trial and error time is done. Like, you have to be a lot quicker with that decision in in your substitution if you're J.D. It's an if-then thing. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this on the podcast. If – Karras is playing under control and making an impact offensively. If Karras is making things difficult on Jalen Brunson and he's defending at a level that is close enough to Isaac Okoro that you benefit from his offense and you don't lose that much defensively, then it's one thing. And Mm -hmm. that was the case in game two. Good Karras. Awesome Karras. 24 points, really good defense on Jalen Brunson. Um, was a big-time X factor in that particular game. But, like, again, if you're trying to to put him into the game because you think that's going to spread the offense out more, give you more playmaking, 
give you more shot creation, give you more outlets when um, when Darius or Donovan get trapped, then like you have to get the rewards from that to continue going that way. And <laughs> since moving Karras into the starting lineup for offensive reasons, you've scored 79 yeah. and 93 right. points. Right. Like, I don't know that they're benefiting enough and, and and it's not like Donovan's playing great, too, because, like, Karras is creating more space for him. Or uh, Darius is playing great because Karras is out there creating more space for him. Right. Like, and that's, like, the crux of it. If Karras is out there, Karras has to do well on offense, so he yeah. creates space for those two guys to operate. So I just don't know, Ashley, that the Cavs are benefiting enough from the Karras-Levert move, even though... It's been a logical decision, and I understand the reasoning behind it, and it's sound reasoning. I just don't know that they're benefiting enough on the offensive end from that decision to continue yeah. to play Karras, you know, close to 40 minutes, and Isaac only 17. Yeah, and I mean, not to be, like, all doom and gloom on this podcast, but, like, I think— and it's, They're down 3-1. It's okay. Right, <laughs> Everyone, I feel like, has been saying this anyway, but it's like, this is just, like, a nightmare first-round matchup for them, and that's just the reality. Like, this was, like, maybe the worst team for them to have to play in this first round when they don't have a lot of experience because of all the issues that the Knicks can expose uh, going yeah. against this team. And it's it's kind of like, you know, like, when the Bucks and, and the Heat have to play each other, I'm like, that's, like, kind of a tough matchup for the Bucks in the first round. Like, sometimes the, they just shake out this way sometimes the playoff bracket the seating just shakes out this way and this is you know when upsets can happen because for whatever reason it's a team with a worse record that just matches up really well against one particular team and we saw that with the Knicks all year against the Cavs and what they were able to expose there's a there's a reason why the majority of the world outside of of New York um where they're very rabid fans here and they love their Knicks and giving them a lot of credit because they have created quite a hostile environment for these young Cavs. But there's a reason why um, the basketball universe outside of New York saw seven game series the minute that it was the four or five matchup. That's all. I mean, oh, I know, thought I knew, genuinely thought no, I lost you. <laughs> no, you you knew it was going to be competitive. Yeah. You knew that it was um, very evenly matched. You knew that there were um, strengths of the Knicks that were flaws of the Cavs and strengths of the Cavs that were supposed flaws of the Knicks. And you thought, hey, this is going to be a back and forth competitive series. It hasn't been in the first four games to this point. Like the Knicks have been the dominant team. There's no doubt about it. Today, they led for 40 minutes of the game. You know, the Cavs led for five Um the, the, the other night, it was a 20-point loss, the first 20-point loss that the Cavs had. So this has been a very lopsided series in favor of the Knicks. And saying that, it's not over, and the Knicks are a flawed team. Like, they were the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference for a reason. They're mm -hmm. barely cracking 100 against this Cavs defense. It's just, right. <laughs> I mean, you're but playing in like the playoffs. What, that's <laughs> what makes it so much more frustrating. Like, it's like the Knicks have it in some super fantastic high-powered highly efficient offense right. that it's like you throw your hands up and you can't stop like the Knicks were horrible on Friday night like that's what makes that loss yeah. worse they weren't that much better today offensively I mean Jalen Brunson was good right but like 
it's an ISO heavy, slow kind of methodical prodding offense, which we knew going into this. And it's just like the Cavs just don't have enough to be able to match up well with them to take advantage of like in these lower scoring games because their offense is dead in the water right now. At least out yeah. in New York, it has been. You know how you beat New York? A whole bunch of shooting. Right. Again, they want to pass the to paint. Force them, yes. Number one team in the NBA in terms of defending the paint. But if you have shooters, consistent shooters, reliable shooters, you're going to have a better chance. Right. That's how, that's like basketball 101. It's what they teach you in high school. I can, I can remember learning about like, you know, going against a 2-3 zone defense and you break down a zone by either you don't want to try to drive inside, you want to hit some outside shots so then they can't play that anymore. Yep. Like that's that's kind of what, what the situation the Cavs are in at a very basic bare bones level. You have to make some shots to <laughs> make the Knicks defense work a little bit harder and maybe wear them out. Look at game two, the one game that the Cavs won in this series. Darius Garland, six of 10 from three. Karis LeVert found money. Four of nine from three, and mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell made a couple. Fourteen made threes for the Cavs that game. That was the night that they scored 107 points. That was a night that they shot 50% from the field. That was a night that they finished with 26 assists on 38 made field goals. Like that was a night that the Knicks defensively couldn't function the way that they wanted to, the way that they're most comfortable functioning. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll see if the Knicks can still be functioning comfortable, unfortunately, for the Cavs (laughs) on Wednesday when the series once again shifts back to Cleveland for Game 5. It's officially a must-win game. It is the number one, (laughs) I think, most overused phrase in sports, and I get that from working with Mary Kay Cabot, who has hammered it into my brain that it's used too much, and like I now truly only use it if it is a must-win game. This is a must-win game. It's the one time I'll allow myself to use the phrase. We will have plenty of coverage before then. The Cavs will have some practice availabilities, things like that. Of course, from the game itself, Chris will be there. I will be there. Check out cleveland.com slash Cavs. While you're there, click on the blue banner at the top of the page. That's how you'll become one of Chris's Cavs insiders. You'll get texts directly from him. That's where he's been sending all of like his little nuggets about the lineup and who's in, who's out, that sort of stuff. He always sends it there, but during the playoffs, it's especially extra crucial. And you can also text 216-208-4499 to get signed up for that. I had to think. I was going back to my um, my text from before the game to try and give an example of what people get. Uh, oh, yeah. So I had the Cavs are sticking with Karis LeVert in the starting lineup. And then I also told uh, my Cavs insiders that there was a plan in place again to get Ricky Rubio's spot minutes. So that was um, about 45 minutes before tip-off this afternoon. So my Cavs insiders had that um, nice and early before everybody else. Exactly. So make sure you sign up for that. I mean, this is going to be, again, I've said it before, the playoffs and and even all the offseason moves. Who knows what's going to happen? You want to get inside information from Chris. So, again, Cleveland.com slash Cavs, blue banner at the top of the page. Um, Chris, I will see you at Game 5 on Wednesday. I'll probably see you before then at practice, but definitely Game 5 on Wednesday night. Looking forward to it. Uh, don't know what the result's going to be. Don't know what to expect from this team after the first four games. But no, 
it's know, a mystery. It, Life's uh, fun with mysteries. It should be fun to see how they operate uh, in a do or die situation. Let's hope it's uh, for their sake. It's it's not the way that they did this afternoon in what was viewed as a do or die situation. Right. Let's hope they're making another trip back to New York on yeah. uh, Friday night. I know. I want to go to the Empire State Building. <laughs> it's it's more about me than anybody else at this point. Exactly. That, that sums it up. <laughs> All right, folks. Again, cleveland.com slash cabs. Check out everything over there. Um, and again, make sure you're there and sign up for insider information in case Chris does get to make that extra trip to New York later this week. <laughs>